Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 Bonnie in the house. Happy to be here. Let's talk. By the way, if you want to help make the world a better place, it's time to run and drive and manufacture with the Game Changers. This is where the best run, and this is season six of one of our longest running Game Changers series. So welcome. I have an opening buzz quote from a website called bdo.com, Insights Industries. I won't give you the rest of the long URL, but listen up. Here we go. If the events of the past few months have been any indication, manufacturers will need to get comfortable operating in an environment of, now listen up everyone, constant uncertainty and change. They need to monitor these changes and determine the implications for their business strategy and relationships with their suppliers and customers. Just let that sink in. So we're talking about manufacturing today. Manufacturing companies are indeed undergoing a rapid evolution in the face of quickly changing market reality. Some people call it the new normal. I call it the new reality. We're emerging, thank goodness, from the COVID-19 pandemic and the shutdown. So how can they manage this new normal, new reality? Call it what you want. Let me give you three clues and then I'll ask my three esteemed panelists to introduce themselves. Number one, they need to make sure their research and design efforts are customer-centric. And we hear customer-centric everywhere we talk about business today. Focus on the customer, the end customer, the B2B customer, the BDC customer. And they need to make sure that their efforts result in quick to market. Number two, industrial equipment and products need to support new as a service business models. That's important. They impact the design process and collaboration across the entire value chain. And number three, industrial manufacturers must continue to design and deliver custom tailored products and solutions that the customers want and need. Why would you do it if nobody wants it or needs it? And Industry 4.0 brings capabilities to the table that can help with these challenges. I have three experts on this topic today. We're going to hear in a moment from Joe Bowman at Siemens. Welcome back, Joe. You've been on a different show with me about a year ago. Welcome a newcomer to Game Changers, Bernhard Meyer at SAP. And welcome back one of our recent series sponsors, also at SAP, Richard Howells. He, in, in, he sponsored the Industry 4.0 with Game Changers series. We're going to ask them how the design process is evolving, the importance of having intelligent solutions to streamline and integrate product and design solution, solution design. And the topic today is is, wait for it, how manufacturers build the next generation products and solutions. So welcome, welcome, welcome again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and let's hear from our panelists. Joe Bowman, if you're looking for him, his last name is spelled B-O-H-M-A-N, a little different than we expect. Joe, in case there were, I'm going to go out on a limb, maybe five people who don't remember you from your appearance on Richard's series last year. Talk to those five people, refresh their memory. What do you do at Siemens? And Joe, how did you get to where you are? What's well, a little bit about your background and why are you here talking about manufacturing? Joe, welcome. Yeah. Hey, Bonnie. Great to be here. And yeah, just speaking to those five, and it's only those five that don't remember. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, uh, Joe Bowman, uh, Senior Vice President at Siemens, responsible for Team Center, um, which is uh, an industry-leading uh, PLM slip solution, which is really all about helping uh, customers 
you know, manage their uh, engineering process and all, all of their engineering uh, data. But let me tell you a little bit about me and how did I, how did I uh, get here. So uh, I'm a math geek. Um, I started out, uh, you know, as a math guy, went to Princeton and studied math. Um, you know, originally I thought I was going to be a, like a math professor. You know, that was kind of my original, you know, goal in life. That was kind of the mission. But, um, you know, after college, I, um, I, I, I started seeing this thing called 3D CAD. And, and I was just fascinated with it, this idea that you could go in and you could, you could design parts and you could look at things in 3D. And I just thought that that was uh, really pretty incredible. And so I decided I wanted to get involved in that. And so I started out at General Electric back in the, the Jack Welch days. If you guys can mm -hmm. remember back to the Jack Welch days, working to use 3D CAD to design uh, turbine blades and jet engines. And so, you know, kind of using all that math to go in and understand how to design, you know, a turbine blade and a jet engine, which was pretty, pretty interesting and a lot of uh, fascinating problems there. But, you know, as I got involved in that, what I saw when I was inside General Electric was I saw, you know, how much, um, how much value there really was in all of the software that was being used to manufacture these jet engines. And I thought, wow, that would be a really interesting thing to get into. And so um, I left General Electric, came to Siemens, um, and really focused on, you know, how to, how to do kind of uh, this, this, this problem of how you design these 3D shapes. Um, and so I worked on that for quite a while. But then uh, the next problem that kind of really caught my eye is, you know, if you look at, if you go into any kind of uh, manufacturing operation, there's so much change and variability. Uh, when you think about, like, if you look back to my original experience at, uh, you know, G aircraft engines, you know, there's a lot of different configurations of those engines, and they're all a little bit different. And, you know, the software to manage that is really fascinating. And so that kind of led me into uh, Team Center, which is my current role as, you know, kind of keeping track of all the data, you know, all of these tools that, you know, you get into in a manufacturing enterprise are producing mm -hmm. phenomenal amounts of data. And how do you get all that data under control? It's a fascinating problem. And so that's, that's brought me to where I am today. Joe, love the bio. I think you won the bio of the year award. It's only March, but it, but I have a bet. Yes, I love the background. And by the way, I was a math geek too. And I even studied mathematical logic in my one-on-one -on -one personal studies. We had separate, I went to Sarah Lawrence College in New York and we had one-on-one -on -one studies with our main three main professors. And I studied mathematical logic. I was on the competitive math team in high school, Joe. Does that Rock come on, I was on the math team. I was Is, on there. Isn't that something? We had so many good math students in my junior high, which today is called middle school, that they put us in the cafeteria, spread us out. This is way pre-COVID. <laughs> Whoever heard of that? They spread us out on these big, long cafeteria tables. There were about 30 of us, and they had us take this really hard math test. And the top six won and shared the math award for the year at graduation. I was one of the six, and I think I was the only, I can say, girl at the time. And that was hey, quite congratulations. a- Thank you. That was, <laughs> and I remember it. <laughs> remember it. I remember all of it. So thank you for the memories. Let's move to our second panelist, Bernhard Meyer, newcomer to Game Changers. We're so happy you're here. Bernard, please share a little bit with us about your story. How did you get to today? And what's your passion for our topic about manufacturing? Bernard, welcome. Yes, thanks. So um, thanks for being here. 
to be invited for this show. So I would like to start in the first step with my passion and then I would came back to what I did and what I'm doing. So you may a little bit know a bit more about my passion. So first of all, passion is for me independent, which kind of passion it is. It's the fight inside yourself where you are fighting for 24 uh, seven hours. And um, I am an electrical engineer, and as an engineer, I'm burning to solve a customer challenge, of course, in the first step, more from a design and development point of view. And this is part of my, I would say, professional DNA. Nevertheless, my passion goes far beyond in the direction of how discrete manufacturers can sell, engineer, build, deliver, and operate custom and or order-specific products and solutions, and this all in an economical way. So in other words, how to provide custom-engineered products and solutions on a scale way and on a fingertip, in best case, using intelligent technologies. So my name is Bernhard Meyer. As mentioned, I'm since 2000 at SAP. I have been working for SAP based in Waldorf. It's in the southwest region of Germany in various roles, but always with the clear focus on discrete manufacturing uh, companies. In that context, I always looked for opportunities to help manufacturing companies to improve their way of working. Mm Starting in the global uh, application and business consulting, I moved later to the industry solution management organization where I'm currently in. And this solution management sits between the customer and the SAP development organization. So with one leg, I stay in our field organization with strong relationship to direct and direct interactions to uh, customers in the discrete manufacturing. On the other hand, I stay with the other leg in, in, the, in the SAP development organization, helping to drive, to develop and improve industry-specific solutions. And for me, this role is may one of the interesting one inside the whole SAP organization with more than 110,000 employees worldwide. So before I started at SAP, I worked as an electrical engineer at APP Power Generation in mm -hmm. Switzerland, starting as a development and manufacturing engineer. Later, I was responsible for turbo generator testing and as technical sales engineer to sell uh, generators to non-APP turbines. The first steps, now I go one step back, more, more one step back. The first steps I did in discrete manufacturing were when I was 15 years old because I started uh, an apprenticeship as an electric mechanical when I was a little bit more than 15 years old. So to summarize with some interruption, I have now close to 40 years of experience in the discrete manufacturing industries and I have uh, up to now more gray hairs than brown ones on my head. <laughs> Back to you, Polly. <laughs> Bernard, that was interesting and charming. Age 15, apprentice electrical engineer. Wow. No, no, no. It's, so it's electrical mechanic, mechanics. Mechanics. And then later I went to the university and studied electrical engineering. But I started in a company, provided, in a manufacturing company, producing, uh, uh, you know, this, this uh, cash, uh, this... Um, this type where you get the, the money cash out of, at the bank. So it's uh, it was yeah, manufacturing industries, basically. Yeah. Fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Very. <laughs> it's always nice to know where people come from, how they got to the position. Not just what do you do, what does the company do, but who are you and where did you start? Thank you very much, Bernard. Pleasure to meet you and thanks for joining us. 
Richard Howells. Last time I said to a third panelist, thanks for your patience waiting for me to get to you. They said, I'm not patient. Hurry up. Let's go. Richard is too polite to do that. Richard Howells has been a series sponsor with me in 2020 for Industry 4.0 series. And I'm hoping you'll come back this year. No pressure. Richard, Richard, I said to Joe, there might be five people who don't remember him. I'm going to say there might be Two and a half people who don't remember you, Richard. So talk to them and bring us up to date. What are you and how did you get to where you are? Richard Howells, welcome back. Thanks, Bonnie. And uh, thanks for having me on the show again. So uh, my name is Richard Howells, and I also work for SAP in the supply chain space. Uh, I am from the west coast of Wales in the UK, uh, but I now live in, in Boston, Massachusetts, where I've been for 27 years. I like to tell people I have the original Boston accent being from the UK. So uh, you have to think about that one a little bit before that clicks in. Um, but I'm now a US citizen. I became a citizen after 20, it only took me 27 years and I'm now a US citizen. Just before the election, I got the ability to vote at the election. Say no more about that. No more about that. <laughs> okay. I said it. <laughs> so um, I also have a math background and uh, my father pushed me into computer science because of my, I like to solve problems. And uh, a very long time ago, because I also have over 30 years experience in the, uh, in the space, um, I, my father pushed me into a, a computer science exam in high school. And I am so old that we didn't have any computers in the high school at the time. So, uh, so and uh, we did things on punch cards and they used to send it out to the college and then it would come back a week later saying error. And that's all the information you got about what was wrong with your program. But I, I carried on with computer science. I did a degree in computer science, mainly because that was the only exam I passed in high school. So I carried on with computer science. So I've sort of fallen into the computer industry where I've worked for the last 30 plus years. Um, I, I've implemented, I've worked in the manufacturing and um, supply chain and ERP space all of that time. I've implemented systems at multinational companies like Gillette and Colgate and Rome Palenk and Roman Haas and Royal Worcester Spode, lots of different industries there. And uh, I moved to the U.S. to help drive and, uh, the, the business systems and design business systems at my previous company. And then 17 years ago, I joined SAP and I've been working in the supply chain and manufacturing space ever since. Thank you very much, Richard. Very interesting. Another commonality, I hold two degrees, one in computer operations and one in computer programming, Richard. And that was my graduate school after I got a degree in psychology because I couldn't, couldn't do anything with psychology to be fast enough to support my kids as a young, young divorced mom. So I happened to find a, a local college that had a two-year degree in computer work. And I was so excited by it, Richard. It was just every day was a yes, yes, yes. Yes, that that joy. And Richard, I don't want you to feel alone. I was working in the key punch days. Okay, just so <laughs> you know. And the computer those days I worked on was a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5. And the disc pack was this big. And I had to stand up on a step stool. And I wore high heels in those days, stand on a step stool to lift the pack and put it into the disc drive. Do you yeah. remember those days? Yeah, but I used to also when in college, after college, I used to install software systems. And I used to walk around with the big tapes. There the you go. Reels of tapes that you had to put into the the computer to install software. And I still have my COBOL handbook. I was a crackerjack COBOL program. I could do thousands of lines on a weekend, keep punching them on a Monday morning and have them running by one in the afternoon, maybe one syntax error, shame on me. 
but I have green bar paper. I have some of the core dumb printouts. I saved them. I don't have to tell you how many years ago. Let's not go there. Thank <laughs> you, gentlemen. It's been really nice. I really enjoyed the bios. Thank you for sharing those details. Now let's go to the opening quotes. If you're new to Game Changers, this is the part of the show where I've asked my guest to send me a quote from a movie, a song, a TV show, something that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic, and they're going to explain in their own words how it relates to the topic. So let's see how philosophical, poetic, or otherwise they want to be. Joe Bowman at Siemens sent me the following quote from Gordon Gekko, G-E-K-K-O, played by the one and only Michael Douglas, the movie Wall Street, 1987 American drama film directed and co-written by Oliver Stone. Gordon Gekko is a composite character. The story tells, the film tells the story of Bud Fox, played by Charlie Sheen, a young stockbroker who becomes involved with Gecko, a wealthy, unscrupulous corporate raider. And apparently, Oliver Stone made the film as a tribute to his father, Lou Stone, who was a stockbroker during the Great Depression. And here's the quote. And I know there's an alternate quote you almost gave us, Joe, and you can give us that one too. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Joe Bowman, give us the alternate quote and then tell us what in the world has to do with our topic. Go ahead, Joe. All right, rock on. One of my all-time favorite movies, Wall Street, Gordon Gecko. Mm-hmm. And the alternate quote, of course, is greed is good. <laughs> but I didn't think that that was uh, really appropriate here uh, for the show. But um, I, I thought this, this quote about uh, information being the most valuable commodity was really relevant and uh, really important. Um, because, you know, as I look and, and work with a lot of uh, manufacturing companies around the world and talk to CIOs, you know, it's not uncommon for me to talk to a CIO that has, you know, uh, a 200, 500, maybe a thousand different systems that all have information in those systems. And of course, you know, um, how to extract and use all of that information in a useful way, in a way that adds value is um, incredibly important. And I think uh, a lot of CIOs that I talk to, um, the, the, the information, there, there are these information silos. And, and so you, you, you have this, this, this situation where, you know, one group of people in a company have access to particular information, maybe purchasing has some information and maybe in the warehouse, the inventory guys have some information, maybe in engineering, some, there's some different information, but being able to connect the dots uh, across all of that information is really hard. And, and this is something that um, a lot of, uh, you know, manufacturing enterprises really struggle with. And, um, you know, and that's really where we come in with this concept that we talk about of the digital threat. And, and the digital threat is really about how do you connect information across those information silos in a way that, you know, someone in engineering maybe that needs to understand a little bit more about what's happening down on the manufacturing floor has visibility into what's going on down there can understand it and maybe make a better decision in engineering uh, about the product that's uh, about to be developed. And so, you know, and so I thought when I was thinking about that quote from Gordon Gecko on, you know, information being the value, valuable commodity, and it's not just having the information, it's really having everybody be able to access the information. And so, you know, the partnership that we have between uh, Siemens and SAP really is all about connecting the information that our two companies have. You know, between us, we, we, we manage quite a bit of information 
um, in these manufacturing enterprises. And I talk to customers every day that want to connect the dots between the information that we have. And so, um, you know, we've formed a partnership together where we really focus on this topic of digital thread. Bonnie, I won't bore you and go through um, all of the digital threads uh, that we're working on. Uh, we, we have uh, six of them that we're, we're working on. Uh, specifically, but really it's all about information and, and getting access to information to the right people where they need it. And I think we really, you know, as we move into the future, that's what it's really all going to be about. It's about getting that information and allowing everybody to access the information that they need when they need to. Thank you. Information and then, at, you know, at, and then greed is good. Information <laughs> at the right time, at the right place, to the right people when they need it, right? Yeah. There you go. Thank you very much, Joe. Appreciate that very much. And let's go to Bernard Meyer. And Bernard has sent us a quote. Bernard, I'm going to hum a bar or two before I read the quote. <laughs> and if anybody doesn't remember that, it's the third studio album lead song by American singer-songwriter Bob Dylan. I think he got a Pulitzer Prize or a Nobel Prize a couple of years ago. Not sure how that went. It was released in 1964. That was a lifetime ago. And the and by the way, his third album, Bob Dylan's third album, was the first that featured only his original compositions, stark, sparsely arranged ballads on serious social issues like racism, poverty, and social change. He was ahead of his time, obviously. And the title track is one of the most famous, capturing the spirit of social and political upheaval that characterized the 1960s. Here is the quote, then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone. For the times they are a-changing. Bernard, forgive me. I try not to sing, but once in a while, that's the only way to deliver a quote. Bernard, rescue me. How'd you find this one? <laughs> uh, to be honest, Bernie, so it was really the challenging task, or the, challenge, the most challenging task for this show today, uh, to, to find out something here. Uh. So why I choose this song and this specific part of it. So I... Uh, First, the topic change, I thought, at least works always uh, at the beginning. And uh, I may, lazy is now the wrong word, but then um, I start to think a little bit more about what there is behind. Eh? So I start to listen more careful to the song and to the lyrics, and then I realize that there is much more behind uh, where I can build the bridge to today's topic. Eh? So secondly, as you mentioned, I realized that this song was written before even I was born, even my parents were married. So uh, that's really a long time ago. So why did I choose this quote? Then you better start swimming or you will sink like a stone for the times they are changing. So swimming is something you cannot buy. It's like a bread or a bottle of wine or, or a car or whatever. It is a capability you have to learn from scratch. And there are different techniques as well. You have to practice it on the ongoing. So if you stop practicing swimming, you may lose this capability again. In addition, you have to practice the techniques may as well to learn or adapt different um or new movement segments to be better and faster. And these tactics, tactics and techniques will be different when you swim in a swimming pool or in a cold river or in a lake. Eh? So, and there is the similarity um, situation we have when we talk about how manufacturers build their next generation products and solutions. So it is 
as well something a company learned once and yes there are changes where companies have to adapt the development technique or processes or to adapt newer development methodologies like i maybe will talk later as well about model-based systems engineering or how to collaborate in a broader network of development stakeholders along the entire value chain or how to capture the real customer requirements. And I believe, and this is now the second part of my quote, do not take care about the changes, how manufacturers build the next generation products and solutions. It will happen like Bob Dylan sings, you will sink like a stone. <laughs> Thank you very much, Bernard. As I was reading the quote, I realized that could be the genesis of the famous line from the newer movie, Finding Nemo, said by the blue tang named Dory. Just keep swimming, 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 swimming. I just, somebody quoted that movie on a show a couple weeks ago, and I'm reading your quote. I'm saying, that's where it came from. Thank you, Bob Dylan. Thank you, Bernard. Love the quote, and, and it's time we get by. Bob Dylan only shows a little bit, at least through his quotes, through his lines. Thank you so much. Richard Howells has sent a quote from a comedian. We haven't had one of those maybe ever, Richard. Although I think somebody quoted <laughs> Stephen Wright on a show a couple of years ago. The comedian is Emo Phillips, American stand-up comedian, actor, voice actor, writer. Produ- everybody's a writer and a producer, even me. Emo Phillips, young guy, born in 1956. Richard and I are allowed to say he's a young guy. I don't know about the rest of you. And his persona as a comedian uses something called paraprostokians spoken in a wandering falsetto tone of voice i've never heard him but i'm guessing it's a figure of speech where the second part of what you say has a surprising or unexpected effect on the first part of what you said and the audience says what and reframes let me give you two examples forgive me richard i had to one is henry youngman's favorite line take my wife please okay (laughs) And, and the second one is homer simpson says if i could just say a few words I'd be a better public speaker. (laughs) (laughs) These are wonderful. So here is the quote from Emo Phillips. A computer once beat me at chess, but it was no match for me at kickboxing. Okay, (laughs) so Richard, you got to bail me out on this one. What does this have to do with manufacturing going forward? Richard. Absolutely nothing. Um, (laughs) No, no, I'll put some some linkage. Please. So uh, I picked this one. Because, as you pointed out, you usually don't have comedians' quotes on there. And if you've ever seen Emil Phillips, he has a very annoying voice, as you pointed out. But the quote is around how I think it just shows how things have evolved. I mean, um, Bernard's quote was around the times are changing. And the reality is the clock speed of change is getting faster and faster and faster. I mean, when when uh, Gary Karpov was beaten by by, I think it was called Deep Blue, the computer, and it was back in 1996. I, I was I was thinking, what 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 what's next? I mean, what what's going to happen next? And to be totally honest, Emo Phillips might have said uh, he would have kicked its ass at kickboxing, but I go to manufacturing facilities now, and I'm pretty sure there are robots that would kick his ass because that we've evolved so much that that the, the computers have evolved so much. I mean, everything is now smart. Joe talked about the digital thread, but it's all about having smart products and and innovation. I have a smart watch on. I have a smart thermostat in this room. My washing machine can be programmed by my phone and it can tell me when the, the wash is finished. My son in college has the same feature where he can be anywhere in the, in, in the uh, 
campus and be told that the washing machine is available now or it's just finished and he needs to take it out. Everything is smart. Everything is innovating. So the reality is that, to, to Bernard's point, the times are changing and computers have evolved. Computers will continue to evolve. The technology will continue to evolve. And the world is our, our oyster as far as the, what our limits are. The sky is the limit. Thank you, Richard. Very interesting. Back in the day, I mentioned key punching in the 19... <laughs> on the Xerox Sigma CP5, I will tell you that the computer room was the size of a medium warehouse. And the wires, the cables were underneath the floor. And the computer room operator had something that looked like a carpet layers tool. It was a magnetic something <laughs> with two, two parts like a bell, two bells attached. And he lifted up the floor tiles if they needed to fix something. There were bells and whistles. The machines blinked and they made noise. And walking into that computer room was like walking into another world. It was almost a beautiful sight. That's when we really stood back and said, wow wow, a computer, wonder what's going on in there. What can I do to put information in, Joe, and get something interesting out and do my job, which was reporting for the community colleges of the entire state of Oregon at one of my jobs. And, and why am I here and what am I trying to do? And wow, I did it. There was an excitement. And now a computer, it's on our watch. It's in a phone in our hand. It's many, many, many size. It's everywhere we go. We're wearing it. Some of us are swallowing smart pills. We're doing everything with computers and they are part of our fabric. But yes, thank you, gentlemen, for the quotes. Really appreciate it. you all did your homework. Bernard, you did well on your quote. I'm sure that was out of your comfort zone, but you picked a great one. Thank you very much. And Bob Dylan is quietly thanking you. Bernard <laughs> Meyer, thank you for mentioning me on Game Changers. I, I can hear it now. By the way, let's all do a shout out to Judy Cubis at SAP, the sponsor of the series. Let's give her a round of applause for putting these shows together. Yay, Judy, thank you. Great panel today, Judy. Let's get down to business. It's time for the roundtable. Joe Bowman has sent me the following statement number two out of his four. Let's go here. Joe says, facilitating a feedback loop. And leveraging IoT, that's Internet of Things for the Uninitiated, allows companies to take a lot of lessons from what is happening to their product in the field. I'm going to stop there, Joe, because I don't want to read your stuff. I want you to explain it. Joe, take about two to three minutes, unpack this for us, and then I will ask Bernard to agree or disagree. Bernard, don't be afraid of disagreeing with Joe. And then, Richard, you get to agree or disagree with both of them and have twice as much fun. Joe Bowman, you're up. Go ahead. Yeah, I just want to start by saying I actually have seen a punch card. <laughs> well, good for you. <laughs> to the museum. <laughs> Welcome to our world. Go ahead. Yeah, so um, I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, IoT and, and, and the feedback loop and why everybody's um, so excited about it. You know, yesterday I was, uh, I was at a soccer tournament with my kids and I was driving back and there were these giant windmill farms. You know, there's so much um, happening now with green energy. And I was looking at these uh, windmills and I was thinking about uh, IoT, believe it or not, when I was looking at uh, these windmills. Because if you think about a, a windmill, um, and Bernard was talking about kind of mechanical and electrical together, you know, there's an engineer that designs how that windmill is going to work. And um, there's an engineer that sits down and says, you know what, I think that this is the way I can get the most power out of that windmill and you know this is all the rates and feeds that's going to happen with it and an engineer designs it and then you know you manufacture it and you build it and then it goes out and in my case it was out uh, near palm desert um, and it's out there running 
Um, and what IoT is really all about is taking some information from that windmill that is now running and getting that back to the manufacturer that built it and getting it back to the engineer who designed it. Because, you know, the engineer who designed it, if you kind of look at the traditional model, <clears throat> the engineer designs it, says, I think it's going to work like this. I think this is the power I'm going to get out. Is that really what happened? IoT is really all about closing that loop. It's really about kind of bringing that data back from usage back into manufacturing, back into engineering. It's really a profound uh, change. And I think, you know, the Siemens uh, SAP partnership where we've connected, you know, Team Center and S4 HANA together really is about facilitating those sorts of flows and connecting those sorts of dots really so that, you know, manufacturers can really create the products that are better than the products that, uh, that we have today. And I'm, you know, as I was driving out there in the desert and saw that windmill, I was, I was thinking about that story about IoT. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table and see what people have to say. Bernard Meyer, you're up. Agree or disagree with Mr. Bowman? What do you think? So I, usually I never disagree. So I just have maybe another point of view or have some additions. But I, I, I think for me it's, I agree with Shaw. I think often, you know, when you talk to, to engineers or people in the, from more from the engineering and technology point of view, so they like the, the technology itself. But for me, it, it's, it's much more. So as Shaw mentioned, it's this, this loop back to something, eh? so uh, that the engineer may know how what he has to change, eh? and then it's then it's more where I would expect from the technology, so that the, the whole integration to these business processes, and as well that I do not have to um, yeah, to think about, so that the systems systems give me the hint to and tell me, listen, there and there you should may change something, so. To really automate the whole feedback loop, but I, I guess there are so many informations coming back. We are not able as as humans mm -hmm. uh, to yes, somehow mm -hmm. uh, to with our brain to follow all these steps. So we need there really the support of the technologies integrated to the business process, so the whole stuff is is embedded, and this will help us in the future um, to really make this IoT technology. Um, profitable so that we can use it on a profitable way, that we can earn money. At the end, it's all about earn money, be faster, higher, whatever. So I guess that that's the point. Thank you, Bernard. Appreciate that. Great points you brought up. Richard Howells, you get to talk to both of them. Agree, disagree, re agree, re-agree with either or both. Richard, you're up. Talk. Well, I won't disagree with either of them, but what they meant to say was... <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I do agree with both of them, but I would expand on that as well, because uh, Joe talked about getting the information, that, that feedback loop back to the engineers. But that data is available to everybody within the business and within the supply chain at that point as well. So I agree with the feedback loop, but I would expand where the feedback loop is, because a customer might want certain information about that windmill um, to see how much electricity it is generating and how it's performing and how it's performing compared to the windmill two miles down the road. But, and, but other departments within your organization might want feedback as well. The maintenance department might want feedback about how that windmill is performing. Is there a part that's, that's wearing down? Is there, is, does it need a, 
it, can I predict that there's going to be a problem with that and send somebody out to maintain it before it breaks down so that it's still working when the next high wind storm is, is about to come. So it really is leveraging that data that IoT can generate, that sensors on that windmill or any smart asset can generate and driving that back again, as Bernard said, back into the business processes. And many different people, many different departments can leverage that information. They may need different slices of the information, but they can still leverage it to drive business value and, and business uh, outcomes. Thank you, Richard. Joe Bowman, obviously you started a great roundtable conversation. Anything you would like to say back to the two gentlemen sharing the panel with you today, Joe? Yeah, I just uh, agree with the kind of the expansion of the the kind of the, the fact that this this data getting back to, you know, information being the most uh, most valuable commodity that, that plugging that back into many, many different business processes. And then the only other thing I would just say is that more and more customers that I talk to are looking to service as a new business opportunity. And, and so, you know, it's not just that you, you're making the product and you're shipping it out the door and your relationship with the customer is over at that point. But, you know, being able to offer uh, real value through service is, is something that's a business imperative for many customers that I talk to. It's a high growth area and it's an area that, you know, this IoT is really enabling. Thank you, Joe. Good point. And I had mentioned uh, as a service, the new service, the new business model in my intro. I'm glad you brought that up. Let's move on. Time for a statement from Bernard Meyer. He sent me four interesting statements. I want to go with number one. He says, developing just a product is no longer enough. The bold vision industrial manufacturing companies have is to quote, and he's got to unpack this for us, Bernard, create superior customer experiences through tailor-made solutions delivered at scale and as a service. So we're going to wrap our arms around this whole concept. Bernard, talk to me for about three minutes. Tell me what this is all about, please. Yes. So, um, so first of all, I always try to, uh, yeah, to explain stuff in black and white because it makes it easier to, to emphasize what is really behind and knowing the world is gray. Eh? But nevertheless, so this, this, um, this bold vision and may we have now as well a little bit more, uh, a little bit more pre uh, yeah, yeah, careful. We talk here about manufacturing industries eh? and this, this contains a lot of different sub-industries. When I am now talking about this bold vision, it's really about this industrial machinery and component sub-industries. And the, as you mentioned, this contains four parts. So the first part is this create superior customer experience. So it's really about how to identify customer requirements. Eh? In the first step, there are different kind of requirements. So there are market requirements on one hand, but there could be as well internal design or order requirements, uh, which are not really related to the customer or order requirements. So there are different kinds of re requirements. And of course, it's, it's as well to, uh, the ability to meet these requirements. Then through tailored made solutions. So this is, it's really about, as I, I mentioned at the beginning, it's the engineering is one part, but when we talk about custom developed products, then it starts with an offer. So it starts in the business. And what happens there is at the end of an offer, a customer signs and designs a scope 
a delivery date and the price. Eh? And then additional engineering starts eh? and it will be built. And it's a question how you can really capture these different requests inside and really develop and produce it on an efficient and profitable way. Then delivered at scale means when I want to scale something, then I need automation. So without automation, I will not be able to scale. So and automation means on the other hand, I have somehow to standardize something. Uh, and the ability really to automate tailor-made solution, that's really, that's really a challenge. And I guess with supporting of intelligent technologies as well, or, or like machine learning, artificial intelligence, whatever, this could really help to automate and that we are able to scale tailor-made solutions. And finally, there is this as a service. And this means, of course, it's we talk here about new business models um, for these kind of tailor-made uh, solutions. And often this as a service or new business models are always at the top of the agenda, but there must there are a lot of different topics which must happen before that you are able, that you can offer a product as a service. Thank you very much. Great unpacking, Bernard. Appreciate that. Let's go around the table. A lot to agree or disagree with. I have a feeling I know where they're going to go with this, but Richard Howells, talk to us. What do you think? I mean, everything that we do drive is, is, needs to be with the customer in mind. And I'm driving, I'm based on what the customer requirements are. And, and that can vary from depending on the industry, depending on the types of products we're talking about. As I mentioned earlier, everything is smart. We have lots of smart products. Um, Bernard mentioned customizing or individualized products. And that, again, varies based on industries where you could get down to an individual individual purely customized with my name on product in the consumer facing industry, but a configurable product in other industries. And more and more customers are also uh, demanding sustainable products. So when you get into the design process, um, making sure that you're using ethically sourced materials, you're designing for end of life with end of life in mind and designing from the whole life cycle from design to decommission of that product. Are those products and packaging materials that use those that are those products are in biodegradable? Are we reducing carbon emissions through our design process, our manufacturing process, our logistics process? So all of these are really different ways of driving customer demand. And we capture customer demand in different ways. I mean, customer support is a great place to get base data about how the products that they're using today are performing, but also market research about where the products are going mm -hmm. in the future looking at competitors' information, and also leveraging, uh, getting the voice of the customer incorporated from a social media perspective. So having that hol holistic view of what that customer demand is, is a key starting point to drive that innovation uh, to th so that you are delivering what they want, when they want it, and how and where they want it. Thank you, Richard. Joe Bowman, join us. Thoughts? Joe, are you muted? We're not hearing you. Oh, thank you. Hey, that was a big statement, and there's a lot to uh, a lot to talk about there, and a lot you know to agree with. I, I think talking with the uh, starting with the customer experiences, and I think um, you know talking about the requirements and the market intelligence, and I think that that's really something that um, 
you know, as I talk to customers, how they're able to kind of bring that together, um, forecast uh, their business, um, and then drive that through. One thing I would add to the discussion that um, hasn't been brought in so far is that, you know, I talk to customers about how important it is to have the requirements um, flow through into all the processes. I've talked to customers that have warranty problems uh, because the requirements have been missed. And, you know, how do you, you know, that gets back to that digital thread. How do you ensure that, you know, those business requirements that you start with are realized as you um, make a product? But then the one I really wanted to focus on a lot was uh, tailor-made solutions. And I think a lot of manufacturing uh, companies, you know, are dealing with, you know, mass customization, mass personalization. I was in, you know, I think, uh, I think it's the largest auto uh, factory in Europe. And, you know, watching those cars come out of that factory and I said, how many of these cars are exactly the same? So this, this factory is producing over a million cars a year and how many of them are the same? Mm. And they said, our, our, our average repeat ratio on a car is about two. Mm. So, you know, out of these million cars, there's like these two are the same and these two are the same and these two are the same, but basically they're all different. And I think every manufacturing enterprise really uh, has to grapple with this um, idea of tailor-made solutions. And, and, you know, when we talked earlier about, you know, all these different information systems, um, you know, th those configuration concepts have to flow through all of those systems. And I think a lot of customers or a lot of companies that I talk to, um, they really struggle with that because, you know, within these silos, the, the way that you deal with um, those, those tailor-made uh, the cost configuration is different. And, you know, one of the things that I think we're working on real hard is how do we, how do we harmonize that so that in that car factory, that's only making two of each one, that all of those systems that need to contribute to that are working together. And that's a, that's a major challenge and, and, and something I think that uh, that's, you know, something that we're bringing to the future. Very interesting point, Joe. A couple of years ago, we started talking about something called make for me. Do you remember that? I want those sneakers with three stars on the back of the left shoe and two on the right. I want exactly. the sole on the left one blue and the sole. And, and can you deliver it to me within 24 to 48 hours? And can I custom order it? And will this be, I'll be the only one in the school on the block in the neighborhood who has those. Yeah. And what you're saying is that there, there is customizing already going on. Very, very interesting on a mass tailor-made approach. And, and then and then, sorry to jump in, but then, no, you know, think about, you know, it's not just the mechanical aspects. What about the software aspects? What sure. about the electrical harness? What about um, all of those things that come together in, in, that, in that vehicle? Thank you. Bernard, this was your topic. You started a good conversation. Anything you want to add, Bernard Meyer? Yes, May. Um, you know, Joe, you mentioned this mass customizing or, yeah, yeah. Mess customizer. So it's for, for me that is much more so when we talk about cars or uh, how how to configure a car. Then all everything is pre-thought. So I cannot uh, configure a car where the the, the characteristics are, does not or does not exist. When I talk about tailor-made solution, then my starting point is the a customized or a, 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 a configurable product, and based on that, I now add 
engineering topic, uh, in custom engineered topics, which is really special for that customer. And I guess that's the main challenge because then the, the whole process do not anymore run from left, from the engineering, somehow to logistic production out to the customer. So I jump between yeah, the, the engineering and the business processes in between. Huh? So um, I guess that that that's that, that's one one step more or one level uh, one level higher, and made to um, to Richard's uh, uh, thoughts. I guess it's really about as you mentioned, so to, to capture um, all the, the the requirements, and of course we need uh, customers need something like a technology portfolio, a product portfolio. They have to know which ideas or changes are affecting or impacting um, existing, existing uh, uh, products or even products which are in, in the factory or may even on stock. Uh, so these are my, my two additional thoughts. About Thank you very marks. much, Bernard. Good. That's what we like is to spark a good conversation around the table. We have just enough time for one more statement. Richard Howells, I'm reading statement number three for you. Why don't you keep it tight about two, two and a half minutes and then a very quick response from Joe and then Bernard. And then we'll do a quick lightning round at the end before we finish and it will be the crystal ball prediction. Where is this all going? So Richard told me the following. He said, real-time data makes it possible for you to spot and put an end to business process inefficiencies but combining real-time data with historical data and machine learning capabilities in a digital twin allows the manufacturer to predict problems and automatically resolve them. It sounds like all good news in there. Richard, give me about a two-minute unpack, please. Sure. So uh, this goes back to if I merge two of Joe's statements together, information is good. Um, <laughs> because everything in the digital age, information is everything. We have too much information is, if anything, and to put it in the right business context is the key for the specific roles. So, but when it comes to innovation, I mean, we can capture real-time information across the product's life cycle, as I said a little earlier. That and that requires a digital twin of the product so that you can capture um, how it was designed, the us the us designed uh, bill of material. But then that gets handed over to manufacturing and it's then having, you can also have visibility about how it should have been manufactured and how it was manufactured. Um, how that happens when you, I mean, uh, Bernard mentioned about bringing it to scale and ma the manufacturing department can provide a lot of feedback and information about how that process worked, how that customized product, the, the, the flow of the manufacturing process enables that customization, how the machines that are making that product are performing. And then as it goes out into the market and you get thousands of the physical products going out into, into a, a live customer environment or consumer environment, depending on the industry, you then get information about how it's being used. And that information also is set, fed back to that digital twin. But now you've got hundreds of, well, if you've got a thousand products out there, you've got a thousand digital twins. And then you can start making analysis and make information about, and making decisions based on the information that's coming back about how those products are actually performing in a live environment. If you are seeing that this particular part has broken down in 600 of the thousand that are out there, that tells you there's an engineering change required or I need to, well, an engineering change. And I may need to re rethink the, the actual part or how that part is manufactured. So all of this information is coming back to one central place and leverage to improve 
the life of a product, how a customer uses the product and how the next gen of pro- product generation of products are designed. And that's all around having that digital twin and that digital thread throughout its life cycle. Thank you, Richard. Great comments there. Let's do a real quick agree or disagree around the table. And I still want to make time for a prediction. So Joe Bowman, quickly, maybe one minute. What do you think about what Richard said? Yeah, I definitely agree. And, you know, one thing that Richard talked about that I really want to kind of amplify and bring up is, you know, the, this idea of, uh, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And, you know, I think that, you know, we've talked a lot about the digital twin, the digital thread, the information, IoT, and the feedback loop. But I think that one of the, the challenges that this, all of this information presents is what do you do with it? And, mm-hmm. I, and I think that what we're witnessing is with machine learning and, you know, pattern recognition, really the ability for enterprises to mine this information in, in really new ways. And, you know, mm-hmm. for example, going back to that windmill example that we were talking about, to be able to predict maybe a failure um, earlier um, through machine learning, not having a human look through reams of information. So I think that that's a, a major trend that people should look for. Thank you very much. Bernard, I can give you 60 seconds for this and everybody get ready for prediction. Bernard, go! <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely agree. So it's really, it's, as Rich mentioned, that it's too much information. And at the end, it's really the challenge how you get from data to information to knowledge and finally, today, I would say it's best practice or what you can then really use. And I really, to, to, to get there, we need um, support by intelligent technologies. Thank you. I have a feeling that was your prediction, but let's go around the table. <laughs> Joe Bowman, I give you 30 seconds. That's all I've got for you. Go ahead. What do you predict? What will manufacturing look like? Industrial manufacturing, discrete manufacturing, all of its flavors look like by 2025. Will the lessons we've talked about today impact them and will they be able to survive and thrive? Joe Bowman, 30 seconds, all yours. Go. Yeah, and I think uh, what we'll what we'll see in the future is uh, the real growth of digital twin, digital thread, information silos being broken down, and people connecting the dots. And then one thing I'll add to that is I think we're all seeing quite a bit of expansion of software. And when we talk about digital twin and digital thread, we really need to think about software and how that all fits in. And we'll see a lot more of that. Thank you, Bernard. Thirty seconds prediction, please. So deliver customer engineered products and solutions based on standardized products and solution portfolio will be the key differentiator to survive and to be as well profitable in the future. In other words, my prediction is create superior customer experience through tailored made solutions delivered at scale and as a service or in Bob Dylan's language, then you better start swimming or you will sink like a stone for the times that they are changing. Bernard, that was poetic. Thank you very much. Wrapping your quote into it, never been done before. Richard House, I won't ask you to top that. 30 seconds, Richard, what's your prediction? So uh, it's all about information and collaboration and breaking down the silos, as Joe said. Uh, starting off, the partnership with Siemens and SAP is breaking down the silos between engineering and manufacturing, but it's also breaking down the silos across the business network. And the other one I think is going to be it's just going to be continuing now until the end of time is sustainability. It's going to be a driver for how we design, manufacture, move and operate everything that we make. 
And that's a whole show in and of itself. Thank you very much. Shout out again, Judy Cubis. She works also with Aswin Aspinali at, I hope I got, Manipali. Aswin Manipali at SAP. Sponsors of the series. Thank you, Richard. I'm going to get your series back. No matter what, we'll figure out a way to get a bunch of podcasts on Industry 4.0 because it's such an important topic. We'll talk. Joe Bowman, it's been wonderful. Bernard Meyer, such a pleasure to meet you. Uh, shout out to Aaron Keller at Voice America Business Channel. Thank you for being our engineer. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? My car is still getting two months to the gallon. How's yours doing? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Joe Bowman at Siemens Joe. Delighted to have you back, just like Bernard Meyer at SAP. Hope you'll come back, just like Richard Howells at SAP. Lovely to see you. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Everybody wave. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.